BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. VR training platforms like the one developed by Fundamental VR and Orbis International are helping surgeons train over and over before operating on real patients. As you practice each skill, the muscle memory starts to develop. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury. The premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80. Live March 20th from The Edge at Hudson Yards in New York City. Featuring a performance by John Batiste. The all-new 2025 Infiniti QX80 is an SUV designed to help every passenger feel just right. Be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. Don't miss it. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. With AT&T in-car Wi-Fi, stay connected wherever you go and transform your vehicle into a dependable Wi-Fi hotspot. Powering applications like real-time GPS and voice assistant, navigation becomes a breeze. Even on the practice field, AT&T in-car Wi-Fi keeps you connected while in proximity of your vehicle. Work, stream shows, or finish homework without missing a beat. See if you're eligible for a free trial at att.com slash in-car Wi-Fi. Don't let connectivity be a roadblock in your journey. Always pay careful attention to the road and don't get distracted. Wi-Fi hotspot intended for passenger use when vehicle is in operation. Compatible device and vehicle required. Sometimes certain stories may speak to me and even to you differently, maybe more personally. Maybe there is a particular aspect of it which rings true to you or you understand it in a way which is beyond what is written on the page if it's a print story. That came to mind when I saw the security guard who was killed in the shooting outside the USC off-campus apartment complex early this morning. It spoke to me on a number of levels. And, And yes, not all of the information is out regarding the shooting. But it highlights, I think, what we're missing in the larger discussion of similar incidents in close proximity to universities like USC and inclusive of UCLA. Now, if you don't know, I went to Georgetown University in Washington, D.C. And if you don't know what Georgetown, the area around the university is like, it's pretty much like Westwood vis-a-vis UCLA. So if you've been to Westwood, you kind of know what the area around Georgetown University is like as far as the shops, the foot traffic, the number of students who may be walking around. But Georgetown is in Washington, D.C., And it's better now than when I was in school, but there are some things which are still true. Washington, D.C. can be a very dangerous city. Even though it's an idyllic university, even though it's in an affluent portion of the city, students are usually targets because criminals know where the money is, as they say. USC... And and UCLA, by example, are similar in nature. The difference between UCLA and maybe USC is that USC is in a portion of Los Angeles which has always had difficulties 
with respect to crime and also poverty. What has changed in the past 15, 20 years is that USC has grown in terms of its campus and its off-campus housing moving further and further into the neighborhood. The specifics of the story, this shooting occurred just before 1 a.m. this morning at West 23rd and Flower Streets. And if you don't know specifically, that's about equidistant between USC and downtown. And if you remember the uh, the revitalization of downtown, it took a while because downtown was a, 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 a sketchy place for a long time. USC is about maybe 30th Street, 32nd Street. So this is about midway between downtown and the actual campus. If you've ever been on that corridor, be it Flower, be it Grand, be it Figueroa, it's always been sketchy. Always. Now, what has changed? The number of off-campus buildings related to USC. The number of dorms, the number of students and, and businesses connected to USC. Now, this is not about blame. This is just about the facts of the demographics and also just how the topography, if you will, of that area. And as USC has moved further, further north towards downtown, adding dorms, the element in that area hasn't necessarily changed. If anything, it's brought USC and USC students closer to the element. Again, this is not blame. This is just about facts and reality. And USC, the university, knows this. We know about the high-profile murder of the Chinese student years back and how, in response to that, USC increased its on-campus security presence. It increased its off-campus patrols. This shooting of a, of a security guard was at an off-campus student apartment building. USC knows where USC is. And I remember my time in Washington, D.C., and I can't speak for other students, but I know since I had family in Washington, D.C., they were very clear to remind me you're in Washington, D.C. And to give you some perspective, back when I went to, to school, this was the late 80s and just the tip of the 90s. That was when students and just people in D.C. were being robbed for their sneakers. You may think that's like some old wives' tale or something or some urban myth. No, they were. They were jacking kids and students for their Nike Air Jordans or whatever was pricey back then. And my parents told me in advance, always remember where you are. Again, realizing that even though you might feel somewhat protected on the campus at Georgetown or UCLA or even USC, know where you are. And USC specifically is in South Los Angeles. I don't know how USC is going to respond to this particular shooting. And my heart breaks for the family of the security guard. He was just doing his damn job just like any other day. And I suspect that he knew where he was working and he knew what he was probably dealing with on a daily basis. And if you've ever driven up and down Figueroa or Flower or Grand, they're running basically a parallel at that point. Those areas have not changed that much. I'm not trying to be funny, 
but they really haven't changed. Now, there has been some gentrification. There have been some more restaurants which have been put there. But I was just talking to Tawala earlier. It's like, mm, you can put some new restaurants, but some of the old stuff is still there. And many times I decide, you know what? I may want to stop at this Chipotle or remember the Sizzler. I don't know if it's even still there, but it was right across from USC on Figueroa. I used to eat there when I was in my post-college days, and I'd hang out on USC's campus. And now, as I, and then as I got older, I realized that's probably not a good idea. That's probably not a good idea because I remembered, as I was told, remember where you are. USC is going to have to deal with this head on. And even though it did not happen on the campus of USC, it is another example of how USC exists in a portion of the city, which is just not like other portions. It's not Cal Poly Pomona, okay? It's not Cal State Fullerton. And as USC has continued to grow in terms of its on-campus and off-campus presence, I'm quite sure there have been other incidents that just have not ended up deadly and just have not been reported to the general media because it's a function of where it is. And this security guard was just doing his job. He died at the scene, and from what we understand, he engaged someone who was either loitering or not supposed to be in that particular location in and around the off-campus housing. He was basically protecting the students, as was his job. And I understand it, and I understand what is probably on that street when you talk about West 23rd and Flower. It's probably not pretty. It's probably very dangerous on a day-to-day basis. And I pass by it every single day. Some days I drive down Broadway. Some days I drive down Figueroa if the 110 freeway is just too congested. I know what that looks like. And even though visually it looks a hell of a lot better than what it did maybe 10, 15 years ago, at its root, there's still the same amount of danger. If, In fact, there's more danger because I would argue there are more college students living in that area who were not living there some 10, 15 years ago because the housing, the, the, the off-campus housing wasn't there. This is just one story. It is a horrible story about the security guard who was killed in the shooting outside the USC off-campus apartment complex. But it's one of probably many that we're not hearing about. This is the John and Ken Show. Mo Kelly in for John and Ken. KFI AM640 live everywhere on the iHeartRadio app. Remember yesterday, I was talking about how these idiots, my word, idiots created this online petition regarding Tory Lanes. Remember that? And I said, I wish or I think we should have mandatory civics and justice and personal finance classes. Mandatory as a component of high school graduation. I think we would, we would be a better society if we did. And that applies across the board. It wasn't just because that online petition, you can look at the, the uh, other debates about how, if they say, well, gas is $4 and 35 cents. I forgot what Mark Bronner said during the break, as far as the average price of gas. It is 437. Okay. 437. I can, throw a rock and hit someone who will say, well, that's because of Biden. Not understanding how our economy actually works as far as capitalism and the president's not setting 
the prices. Or we can talk about the airline drama and how the federal government can't necessarily control what Southwest Airlines does. Why? Because, you know, capitalism. Now, there are regulations. There are parameters that private businesses have to work within. But as far as their individual um, issues, their individual safeguards, their individual standards and practices and code of conduct and dress code and all that, that's still left up to the actual company. So I know it's kind of cute to blame X, Y, and Z on this government official or that system. But in America, since we have more freedom than not, certain things can't be controlled. And this is one of those perfect examples of people not understanding that the airline industry, though highly regulated, is not something that we can control. And the only person, if you will, or the only um, entity to be blamed here is Southwest Airlines with respect to these cancellations and flight issues. Full stop. Now, this is Transportation Secretary Pete Buttigieg and how he is pointing the finger, rightfully so, at Southwest Airlines for all these uh, canceled flights. Secretary of Transportation Pete Buttigieg joins us now. Secretary, thank you for being here. First up, Southwest clearly made mistakes. What does the airline owe the thousands of passengers stranded by what their own employees have described as mismanagement and dated technology? Well, they need to take care of their passengers and they need to take care of their employees. Look, everybody understands that there is extreme weather across the country, but where most airlines saw their performance start to improve, Southwest has actually moved in the other direction. You've got passengers who are stranded. Uh, you've got uh, uh, passengers who can't get a hold of customer service. It's an unacceptable situation. Secretary, I know you've spoken with Southwest Airlines. Uh, could they tell you how they fixed this? They told me in their words that they will go above and beyond their written customer service plan. Uh, I'm going to be holding them accountable for doing that. Does that mean financial compensation? Absolutely. At a minimum, there need to be cash refunds for uh, the, the canceled flights, and uh, they need to be taking care of passengers where uh, they got stuck with meals, hotel compensation. Now, they've, they've put up a website to uh, get those kinds of requests in. Secretary, I want to go back to October of last year when Southwest had nearly the exact same problem. Thousands of flights canceled. How can travelers have faith in the airline and, to be frank, have faith in your department as a watchdog if these problems keep happening? Ah, that's well, a great what point. we did, especially over the course of the problems we saw this year, was press the airlines to increase their customer service commitments. They did that. They did that in writing. And now that we have that in hand, we are able to hold them accountable to a higher standard than what was possible last year. Now, again, what we have going on right now is different for Southwest, this one airline, than what we're seeing across the rest of the system. As a watchdog, we are going to hold them accountable and we're gonna to have to take a deeper look at what's going on with their scheduling systems. We all understand that uh, you can't control the weather. Uh, this has clearly crossed the line from what's an uncontrollable weather situation to something that is the airline's direct responsibility. The most salient part of that, I think, was when Secretary Buttigieg was being pressed on basically well, they did this stuff or similar stuff last year, and y'all didn't do anything about it. So what's different this year? That's where you should be looking at the federal government. It's like, wait a minute. This is not a new problem. It may be a new weather storm, but it's not a new problem. 
It's not even a new issue with Southwest Airlines. There's an issue of what Southwest did not do in this moment, which was derelict. There is the issue of whether Southwest Airlines is going to be um, honest as to uh, refunding people's money and also making people whole in terms of uh, their, their travel, their travel plans, making sure that they actually give vouchers for hotels and meals. That's one issue. But the other issue, the more important issue, the larger issue is what are you going to do, Biden administration slash federal government, to make sure that it doesn't happen again? Because historically, the federal government has let corporate America do whatever the hell it wants. There's been no reason for Southwest Airlines to change or to improve since last time. Why? Because there were no consequences. There's no reason for the airlines in industry writ large to improve. Why? Because there are no consequences to the behavior. There's no reason for the airlines to limit the amount that they may charge you for a bag, which may be 50 pounds or more, because there are no consequences. There is supposedly the watchdog of the transportation secretary. But the reality and the application of that oversight is questionable at best. So if you really want to blame the Biden administration, you want to blame them for not handling this the last time around so it would not happen again. Now, you can't necessarily blame them for the failings of Southwest Airlines, but you can say, well, if you would have done more then, then maybe we wouldn't be dealing with this now. Maybe. Now, the weather is the weather. We can't necessarily do anything about that. And I believe a portion of this is connected to the weather, a portion, but the overwhelming majority of the issue had to do with the internal issues of Southwest Airlines and their out-of-date technology, which scares me, because if they can't handle scheduling, then there are probably other places that they're cutting corners. And if you know me, I'm not a big fan of flying to begin with. And I always believe and I call this thing the roach theory. You know, it's not the one roach you see. It's the, the 45 in the walls that you don't see. If we know in this moment of this one roach in terms of its scheduling technology, which is subpar, what about the other things that we don't know which do impact actual travel? That's what concerns me. If you haven't updated this portion of technology, where else are you lacking? Where else are you behind? And where else may that impact travelers like you and me? Today, it's just a cancellation. Today, it's just a delay. Today, I just have to get a rental car as opposed to getting to my intended destination on time. Tomorrow, it could be much more dire. Tomorrow, it could be deadly. That's my concern because if you're cutting corners here, I have to reasonably assume you're cutting corners elsewhere. And in the travel industry, when you cut corners elsewhere, people usually end up dead. This is the John and Ken Show, KFI AM640. We're live everywhere on the iHeartRadio app. Okay, this is an age-related topic. I remember, I shouldn't say I remember. I remember some of my shots, not all of my shots. I can't say I, re I remember my MMR, measles, mumps, rubella, but I remember some of them because I hated shots growing up and I was inoculated very, very young. Mark Ronner, you and I are around the same age, so I know you got the MMR as well. I don't have any recollection of it, but 
I don't have that round scar on my shoulder that everybody else had when we were uh, kids. Do you yeah. have that? No, my sister did. And I think, uh, Twala, I need you on the mic for this one because you know a lot about this because you've had everything in the world <laughs> injected into you for any number of reasons. I, I can't remember which one that deals with. My older sister has that scar. And I don't know if it's the rubella and they changed it or not, but it's around that time. In the late 60s, early 70s. Early 70s, yeah. Early 70s. That. Oh, you do have it? Yeah, I have it. Boom. Okay, you have the scar. Yeah, I got the scar. Okay, so it's, it's around that time. The reason I talk about it is back in the early 70s, it, was, it wasn't it was even a second thought. Coming out of the polio epidemic in a historical context, people got their kids vaccinated. Yep. And the MMR was just like a staple back then. And there's a reason why I'm talking about MMR specifically in later years, you've had the chickenpox virus uh, vaccine, which I wish I could have gotten because when I received got chickenpox as a 17 year old, it was horrible. I know that was hell horrible. And by extension, I learned that the chickenpox uh, virus is going to stay in my body for life. And would probably lead to shingles later on. Mm-hmm. And Tawala, you've had shingles. I have. And what did I say to you when I said, hey, you know, my doctor is recommending that I get the shingles vaccine. You said what? I said, run. Don't walk. Run away, but run, run to. To get it. Immediately. You don't want shingles. And shingles is a two-part vaccine. I got both parts. Yeah. Okay. Haven't had any ill effects from it. But I'm talking to someone who's had shingles and had to deal with it. Was in the hospital and the pain that I endured and the medicine I have to take now for because if I skip my medicine a few days. It can flare up again. There's there's an itching and there's like this. And you can't get it because it's like your skin is on fire. Yeah. Horrible. And the reason I talk about that is coming out of the pandemic. The whole perception and concept of vaccines and whether we're actually helping or hurting society somehow became a a topic of debate. And you may not have listened to the Mo Kelly show. I understand I'm speaking to a different audience than the John and Ken audience. I, I acknowledge and concede that. But on the Mo Kelly show, I specifically talked about since the politicization of of the vaccines whether you agree with them or not, there was going to be an unintended consequence of spillover to the concept of vaccines more generally. The vaccine hesitancy that we saw and continue to see with the COVID vaccines, and I'm not trying to restart that debate. I'm saying a byproduct of that was that fewer children were going to be vaccinated writ large. And I said be on the lookout. We're going to have to deal with other diseases. Oh, you called that specifically. I did. It's I did. Like, without a doubt. I remember that conversation. So when I read that more than 80 Ohio children have come down with measles, predominantly among the unvaccinated population, I think the, the measles vaccine we got was like maybe 30 years it was supposed to ensure as far as uh, protection. I'm not sure, but I think so. But these 80 children have been infected with measles in central Ohio, and it's rapidly uh, spreading. And this is according to The Hill. The measles virus is primarily spreading around the city of Columbus and has infected at least 81 children, 29 requiring hospitalization. 
Health authorities have not reported any deaths associated, associated with the outbreak. It began in November, and it's increasing through the winter season. The outbreak appears to be spreading primarily among the unvaccinated. 76 of the confirmed infections were among unvaccinated children. I have to believe post-pandemic, these unvaccinated children were either very young during the pandemic or the decision was made not to vaccinate them after the pandemic. These are diseases that we can control. We had, if not um, eradicated, we had thoroughly mitigated. I know that there was a, an outbreak of measles a few years ago, but also it was in an unvaccinated area primarily. These are the things which, um, if we can get our politics out of everything, we can be better at everything, if that makes any sense. If we can remind ourselves that, you know what, hey, I'm not an epidemiologist. I'm not a virologist. I'm not even an MD. If we can remind ourselves collectively of that, remind ourselves like Mark Runner, who got a D in biology in high school. Hey, 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 hey. <laughs> if we can remind ourselves that most of our education ended at high school when it comes to science, if we can do that, then we can protect ourselves going forward. It's, we live in a world right now where we think we're an expert on everything. Now, my job is to talk about everything, but I'll be the first to tell you I'm not an expert on many things. Now, if you want to talk music, I will go to the mat with you on music in terms of just a, a musical theory, music history, contemporary music. I did my senior thesis on the history of music up until 1800. If you want to talk about Mixolydian mode or Dorian mode, key signature, time signature, we can do that. If you want to talk about history in general, that's something that I, that's my bread and butter. But I'm not going to say that I know as much uh, astrophysicist theory as Neil deGrasse Tyson. He is an expert in that field. Now, there may be things that I may disagree with or I may not fundamentally understand. But it's not like I'm going to impugn his knowledge because I saw a YouTube video. <laughs> it's beyond that. It, it, it's beyond that, Mo. It, it's a major problem when... Not just the measles, but chicken pox. And polio. And polio. Polio is something that should have been eradicated. But because everyone fell out of connection and belief of just simple medical truths, vaccinations prevented these diseases. In our lifetime, polio should not be back. It should not. I will listen to the argument, listen, I won't entertain. Those are two different words. I will listen to the argument saying, hey, vaccinating my kids for COVID is not what I want my family to do. Okay. Okay. I disagree with that, but I will listen to it. I will not entertain any discussion of not vaccinating your kids for measles, mumps, rubella, chickenpox, diphtheria, tetanus. 50 plus years of research is <laughs> polio to perfecting those 
uh, vaccines. I will not hear anyone who wants to say that there is a connection between vaccinating your children and autism because there is no proof because that's one of the prevailing things I keep hearing. And I'm like, that is a lie. Stop telling that lie. Stop telling any lie connected around a government conspiracy and vaccinations and chips and anything. I can't do it. This is what I'll leave with. How do you think these 80 children so far in Ohio have been negatively impacted by this decision? How many community members have been exposed because of the decisions of these parents? I understand as a parent, I understand good and damn well as a parent, you're responsible for your child and you're going to do what you think is best for your child. But when those decisions then impact those around you, the whole community around you, other children around you, then you got to give pause. We have to remember, despite how I think we messed up handling COVID, we messed up the, the vaccine rollout, we, we messed up how we've dealt with it post-pandemic. Despite all that, we should not be debating the efficacy and the importance of what I would call the heritage vaccines. And because we can't seemingly make a distinction between the two, now we all have to suffer. Now we have to deal with polio. Now we have to deal with measles. Now we have to deal with whooping cough. Now we got to deal with diphtheria. We have to deal with all these diseases that five years ago we didn't have to deal with. And that's on us. This is the John and Ken Show. Mo Kelly here. KFI AM640. We're live everywhere on the iHeartRadio app. Yeah, I know. You got something to say about what I had to say. Well, I said what I had to say, and now you can have your say. You can always hit me on Twitter at Mr. Mo Kelly. M-R-M-O-K-E-L-L-Y. But what you can't debate is how we got here. How we got here, dealing with measles, dealing with polio, dealing with whooping cough, Dealing with all these diseases that we weren't dealing with fundamentally in America five years ago, that's a direct result of what happened during the pandemic and how our views of vaccines got turned up upside down because of our politics and what we felt about the COVID-19 vaccines. And honestly, most of the people who disagree with me, maybe you're one, I mean, you wouldn't be the first. Most of the people who disagree with me couldn't even tell me the difference between an, an mRNA vaccine and the traditional vaccines. And the fact that the mRNA vaccines today are not all of them. In other words, the Pfizer and the Moderna, that's mRNA. But as far as the, the Johnson & Johnson, that's not. So they're not one size fits all. But our feelings about them have turned into one size fits all. And so what we feel about the COVID vaccines has now been transferred over to other vaccines. You don't have to believe me. You don't have to agree with me. But you don't have an answer for why we're dealing with measles. And that's what it comes down to. Say what you want about the COVID vaccines. But you can't say what you want about why there's been a polio outbreak in multiple states. You can't say what you want about why there is now a measles outbreak and not understand that they are inextricably linked as to what happened during the pandemic. And I believe an intellectually honest person 
can see the distinction, can see that one has impacted the other, even though one is wholly unrelated to the other. And here's something else. Let's talk about fentanyl very quickly. We all are, I would say, concerned about how fentanyl has infected our communities, has killed children and adults. It, it, I would say it is tangentially related to the opioid crisis writ large in the sense of the, they're the legalized opioids and how they were overprescribed and the synthetic drugs, how they've made their way into our community. I think we all understand how that has adversely affected families. It's, it's a, uh, uh, it uh, affected your family. It's affected my family. And it's a danger for everyone, even though you may not even be a user of fentanyl. There are so many things which have been laced with fentanyl. So sometimes unknowingly, I understand the larger concern. And California, as it's being depicted, is at the forefront of the fight to reverse this trend. But there's some other issues which have to be considered. Organizations that distribute overdose reversal drugs worry that the increasingly bold efforts to save lives, and we all want to save lives, could create legal exposure. Just in case you didn't consider this. Some, such as an outdoor center in San Francisco that opened in January, the facility, which in addition to distributing... Naloxone, is that how it's pronounced? I think so. To opioid users, help connect them with social services, drew criticism from residents who claimed it encouraged drug abuse by allowing people to use on site. It closed earlier this month. Other pioneering approaches have stayed out of the spotlight in a handful of major cities from Oakland to LA plans are underway to expand how the reversal drug is distributed. The feeling is if you make the reversal drug more available, then you are somehow giving a green light to users to use it because there's less of a a chance of an overdose. That is the thinking. I don't agree with that. Yeah. Go ahead. T. I absolutely disagree with that because the numbers of people who are dying from fentanyl overdose, first-time users, are not trying it with the idea in their mind that they're going to go and get the reversal drug or get instant treatment for that. Or unwilling, unknowing Unknowingly, users. Unknowing <laughs> users, people who are who these kids we're seeing here in the Los Angeles and Orange County areas who are dying from these overdoses, being slipped something. Letting it be known that there is treatment available does not then further the use of drugs. It's never been how it works. There has always been treatment centers for individuals who are trying to get off of crack cocaine and and all that. And it has not increased crack usage just because you're like, well, I'm going to go down here and get uh, some methadone or something to help get me off. No, it's not how it works. And not only that. I understand when people say, hey, I don't want you to provide free needles. I get that because the needles in and of themselves, I don't agree with that. I understand how clean needles may lessen the spread of certain diseases, but I don't necessarily agree with setting aside parks for drug use or providing needles in that regard. 
I think this is very different because the reversal drug only has one purpose, ostensibly. Yeah. And that is to save lives. Yeah. It is not encouraging, at least from where I sit, it's not encouraging the abuse of drugs. It is actually hopefully, hopefully stemming the loss of life. And that's something very different. Anyone who thinks that does not actually know someone who has been on drugs habitually. I know and have known individuals who have lost their lives to extreme drug use. Never once, never once in talking to any of these individuals have I ever heard, well, you know, I'm going to go on and, and get this hit because I know I'm going to go over and get fixed later. That's, <laughs> that's never been part of their conversation. It's always been us saying, hey, man, you, you don't need this. Or look, you got to stop this, okay. or this, that. I got it. Let's put it in, in more relatable terms, be, terms before we go to break. Have you ever met a diabetic who carried an EpiPen or insulin with the express purpose of going wild on sugar, knowing that they had an insulin pen? No. Is that a fair? That, that is a fair comparison. And no one that I know, even in my years of being diabetic, did I ever walk around with extra insulin just so that I could go sugar crazy? No. No. That's what I thought, because that's when I read to push back on this. It's like I, it doesn't make sense to me because the only purpose of having insulin is to save people's lives. For the most part, yes. Not yeah. for the purpose of just dietary convenience. No. Not in the sense of just I'm going to go ham over here because I know I have this backup plan over there. And there are people who do abuse their their diet because they believe that there is insulin available and those are the individuals who know full and hell well what's going to happen but you don't have the pushback to the idea of no. people having insulin available no because you know you need it <laughs> would you rather them suffer some type of cardiac arrest or go into a coma because they did not have insulin available now maybe some of the pushback is well these are drug users drug abusers they chose this that's on them <laughs> what would you say in response to that if you think i hear that if <laughs> i hear that and if you think it's that easy then bless you. You've never been in a situation where drugs was the outlet for you. Bless your soul. This is the John and Ken Show. More conversation and more dialogue. Hit me on Twitter at Mr. Mo Kelly. M-R-M-O-K-E-L-L-Y. We're live everywhere on the iHeartRadio app. Does money stress you out? Let FACET flip your financial chaos into clarity. Finding FACET immediately put us at ease. FACET's innovative approach to financial planning ensures your money works as hard as you do, enabling members to experience the joys of having your finances in order. And that makes us FACET for life now, I guess. <laughs> Visit FACET.com, F-A-C-E-T.com to learn more. This ad is sponsored by FACET. FACET Wealth is an SEC-registered investment advisor. This is not an offer to buy or sell securities, nor is it investment, legal, or tax advice. These testimonials are from current FACET members who are not compensated. All opinions are their own and not a guarantee of a similar outcome. Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury, the premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80, live March 20th from the Edge at Hudson Yards in New York City, featuring a performance by John Batiste. The all-new 2025 Infinity QX80 is an SUV designed to help every passenger feel just right. Be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. Don't miss it. 
2025 QX80 coming this summer. With every CBD product claiming to do something different, it's nearly impossible to decide what's best for you. Lazarus Naturals pioneered the farm-to-front-door model of transparency where they handle each step of the production process to ensure quality, potency, and consistency. Scannable labels allow you to see the test results of your hemp batch so you can be confident in the safety and quality. Visit LazarusNaturals.com today. Lazarus Naturals, committed to improving your life as well as the world around you. Not available in Idaho, Iowa, or South Dakota. Residents at Brightview Senior Living Communities enjoy enhanced possibilities, independence, and choice. Brightview Dulles Corner in Herndon and Brightview, Great Falls, offer vibrant senior independent living, assisted living, and memory care services through various daily programs and cultural events. Chef-prepared meals, safety and security, transportation, resort-style amenities, and high-quality care. Everything you need is here. Discover more at brightviewseniorliving.com. Equal housing opportunity.